Welcome to the Inside Duke Anesthesiology Podcast, where we take you behind the curtain for one-on-one interviews with experts in our department and across Duke to discuss how we're changing the face of anesthesiology. Now here's your host, Stacey Hilton. Hi everyone, I'm Stacey Hilton, and welcome to the Inside Duke Anesthesiology Podcast. I'm especially excited to introduce today's guest because she is kicking off our new podcast with us today. In studio, we have Dr. Anne-Marie Thompson, the director of our Duke Anesthesiology Residency Program. Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Stacy, for having me. I'm honored to be the first guest on the Duke podcast. So let's go ahead and start the discussion and give us a brief snapshot of what I like to call your Duke story. So my Duke story is uh, probably not a snapshot as much as it is um, a long-running love. Um, I grew up in the coal fields of West Virginia where opportunities were, were few and particularly for women. And um, I, I consider Duke where I went for undergraduate um, education to be sort of the place where I was finally given opportunities to really be on equal footing. I will often tell um, applicants that, you know, coming to Duke for undergrad was sort of the great equalizer for me. It really gave me a chance to, uh, to catch up and to learn and to be exposed to so many things that I otherwise had not had any real exposure to. Um, I enjoyed my time as a Duke undergrad and so much so that I, I stayed for, for medical school. And I have to be very honest with you, I actually enjoyed uh, medical school even more so. Um, it was, certainly wasn't the first and second national championships that were, that were won during my time in undergrad and then the first year of medical school, although that was, that was a bonus. But uh, it really was the camaraderie, the education, the lifelong uh, relationships I made with my, with my peers as well as attendings. Um, that was a long time ago. And when it was time to go for residency, I hadn't been to many places and thought, well, I'm going to go out there and see what else I can do. So I left Duke um, for 19 years. I did an internal medicine residency at the University of California, San Francisco, and was a medical chief resident there. And it was during my experience there that I decided that anesthesiology might just be the perfect complement to my internal medicine training uh, to be an excellent um, intensive care and uh, cardiothoracic physician. So um, that's when I decided to do anesthesiology. And I also stayed at uh, UCSF for that prior to coming back. Um, so I decided to stay at UCSF to do internal medicine. And, uh, and following that, I had my first real job. Um, it was in the Midwest at Vanderbilt University, where I um, also had done my cardiac anesthesia training in both adults and peds cardiac anesthesia. Um, I was on faculty there for 12 years and had never really thought that I would have the opportunity to come back to Duke. But um, fortunately, that opportunity came up uh, when this uh, residency program directorship became open for the first time in, in 20 years. Um, Catherine Kuhn is, uh, was the longstanding program director and she was moving into the designated institutional official position. So I had some pretty large shoes to fill, but, um, I really jumped at the opportunity to return to Duke and give back to the institution that has given me so much. 
And we will touch on why anesthesiology, why that specialty in general, because I think it's really important to let especially medical students know why you decided to get into this specialty. But to change gears a little bit, you know, it's very timely to have you as our guest today because we here at Duke, like many institutions across the nation, we're currently in the middle of the first ever virtual recruitment season. So share with us a little bit about what your experience has been like so far. How have you and your team navigated through the virtual recruitment? That's a great question, Stacy. I think we are doing what other programs are trying to do across the country, which is simply the best that we can do. Uh, this is uncharted territory for all of us. But um, I think in the Duke spirit and in the family spirit, we have, uh, we have the idea that, you know, this is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. I think we have uh, been able to really successfully think thoughtfully about our interview process and how to shape it and change it because it definitely needs to be changed once it's virtual. You cannot do the same thing that you would do in an in-person interview. And I think we've um, been thoughtful about realizing what some of the advantages are of virtual interviews versus um, some of the limitations, which there are definitely limitations to virtual interviews only. So uh, we can go into some more details about that if you like, but, uh, but it's definitely presented its challenges um, for us. But I, I feel like we've got a good plan to face the challenges, but I think we also need flexibility. If things uh, don't work or the formats or platforms change, you know, we're going to have to be adaptable and change along with it. And I would imagine one of the obstacles you and your team have faced is to find new ways to personally connect with recruits because there is no in-person meeting. There is no in-person tour this year. How has your team overcome that obstacle? How are you connecting with the possible recruits? You're right, Stacey. That actual limitation to -to face-to-face goes even beyond the interview day. This year, there have been no, quote, audition rotations or senior rotations where people can come to Duke and and see if it's a, a, you know, mutually agreeable environment. We don't have that ability. So we have had to change our outreach somewhat. Um, The good news is, especially in anesthesiology, is the American Society of Anesthesiologists has created a a platform where programs can advertise essentially virtual open houses, where people who are interested in a program can sign up, uh, log on at a specified time, and meet faculty and residents from a program to have some open discussions about what it's like to train at places like Duke. Um, Those sessions that we have sponsored have been incredibly well subscribed and informative and and we do it in a way so that faculty are there to offer um, perspective and answer questions, but they are not on the call the whole time because we do think it is important that applicants have the opportunity to interact with residents without the presence or the watchful eyes of anesthesia attendings to really sort of get the scoop of what it's like to be a resident um, in our program. Another first for all of us this year is obviously the novel coronavirus and anesthesiology, one of the specialties on the front lines. So talk about the steps you and the department first took and are still taking to really protect the residents. And has it changed their training in any way over these months? Yes, that is an incredible question, Stacey. Thank you for asking this. So um, the 
COVID-19 virus really took everyone by surprise. I remember when someone asked me in January, said, well, what are you going to do when when the virus gets here to the United States? And I remember telling them, I assure you, it's already here. We just don't know it yet. And in fact, that that was the case. Um, We had to think about, we had a little bit of time to think about this ahead of time. And I remember being one of the um, first uh, program directors to speak with our infectious disease expert, Dr. Cam Wolf, about this. It was a phone call at midnight um, expressing my concern that, you know, this virus is coming and that our anesthesiologists and our residents may be staring down high-risk airways that have COVID uh, without proper protection or without a proper plan in place. And, and he agreed. And basically, we got to work the next day to try to uh, see how to minimize risks and safely manage the patients. Um, initially, when we were dealing with COVID back in, uh, in March, we had trained our senior residents and our faculty to um, help manage the COVID airways. Um, This was because we felt like, at least in that time period, you really want your most experienced anesthesiologists and laryngoscopists to to be the ones managing these airways. It's not a time to spend a lot of time as the uh, virus is aerosolized into a room that can create a very scary and potentially dangerous situation. So we did that initially. And as time went on, um, we we really, as much as we could, uh, tried to, in some ways, um, protect residents from doing uh, from doing these airways when they don't need to or unnecessarily. We've still held to that belief at this point, and I would say going into the fall, and now it seems like we have um, a second uh, surge or increase or third, depending on how many you're counting. Um, that at this point, we do have our senior residents trained the same way that we train our attendings with the ability to responsibly and effectively manage these airways. And at least at this point, we do know a little bit more about the virus, how it's spread, um, so that, that we can take better steps to prevent. We also have, fortunately for Duke, um, a really good supply of PPE and a hospital system that is um, dedicated to providing its physicians with the protection they need, which also increases that level of safety for our most vulnerable physicians who take care of these patients. And those are our intensivists, our anesthesiologists, and uh, some of our anesthesiologists like me are also intensivists. So um, we are taking the steps we can to mitigate risk and doing that not just for our attendings, but for our residents. And as with most challenges, there usually are very key, important takeaways. What do you think our residents will take away from this year and the experiences that they've had? I think one of the important things that they need to take away when they go into fellowships and on to practice, they need to be prepared to learn and lead. We talk about preparing the next generation of leaders. I think what COVID-19 has taught us is we are lifelong learners. It is not just lead, it's learn and lead. It's learn and change course as we learn new things. And it is about having that flexibility and that strength of leadership to do that. So we tell residents, look, we are training you in 2020, everything we know about the COVID-19 virus. In two or three years, it could be another one and likely one that is transmissible 
um, by respiratory secretions. So I think anesthesiologists after uh, COVID-19 is like over or more of a chronic disease still aren't off the hook. I think, you know, anesthesiologists will continue to be on the front line as these viruses emerge. So the point is not to teach them a rigid set of rules or a rigid set of uh, personal protective equipment to use, but to give them the tools to really to really think about this and be flexible and to and to essentially again learn and lead not just not just lead and i think they really are getting these tools they're learning from us that we don't always know the answers we still don't know all the answers and i think that is an important um, aspect, uh, that uncertainty in medicine to model for our residents, because it demonstrates to them that even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of this COVID-19 battle or war, we have to step up and lead with the best knowledge that we have today. And getting back to recruitment, it's pretty well known, I think, that the Duke Anesthesiology Residency Program is nationally acclaimed. So what are some of the qualities that you look for in applicants of the program? And who do you think, quality-wise, is your ideal candidate for this program? That is um, a, a really common question asked of, of program directors, and it's an excellent one. And, and the reason I think it's such a good question is, in some ways, the characteristics are the same um, for all programs. But in other ways, there may be particular um, characteristics or traits that maybe we in particular at Duke are looking for. But um, I would say many of them really are universal to programs Clearly, a hard work ethic is, is very, very important. You need to have a very solid work ethic. One of the things I add that other people don't sometimes is you have to have a passion for the field. I've told people before, you better love this because you're going to work really hard. And if you don't love it, you're going to quickly hate it. And I really believe that to my core. It's one of the things I cannot manufacture in people is the... Um, uh, is is that passion. Um, it's, a, it's a central part of, of being in medicine. Medicine is a calling. It is not, it's not just a job. It's a career. Um, it often doesn't have, isn't bounded by specific work hours. So you really do have to love what you do. And I would imagine you're probably looking for someone to be part of your so-called work family, right? Someone who fits in with the residency program family because there's such a good rapport among everybody in that program. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, but our family is pretty broad and diverse too, from many countries, uh, many belief systems, um, many areas uh, of the country, the world. So um, it is a family, but it is, I would say, a very uh, diverse family. But one of the things we all have in common is our commitment to patients, the advancement of, uh, of science in informing us about best medical practices. Uh, we have a strong commitment to, to education and leadership in the field of anesthesiology. To flip the coin, Dr. Thompson, what do you think applicants themselves should be looking for in residency programs? Do you have specific advice in finding the right fit for them? I do. Um, I get a lot of questions about this. And as you know, I probably have a lot of opinions about it. But when residents will sometimes or applicants will sometimes make some statements like, well, you can get great training anywhere. That's a given. And I have to say, as someone who has 
trained sort of excessively in clinical medicine before I went into practice, I kind of turned that back on them and say, really, are you sure? Who told you you can get great training everywhere? And it's interesting. They're often surprised at the flip of the question. They'll say, you know, I, you know, I've just heard it. I don't, I don't really know if that's true. And I would say when you're looking at programs that um, there are, there are many excellent places to train and to get good clinical training. I would not go so far as to say that that is everywhere or universal or a given. I think in particular, Duke has a really broad array of specialties that um, get that deliver clinical care at an extremely high level. Um, this can be a little bit challenging when people first start out. You know, the joke at every place is there's no such thing as an ASA one or a perfectly healthy person type case. Um, there can always be uh, surprises and challenges around the corner. But I think you want to go to a place like that. You know, you want to train with excellent, clinically competent faculty um, with exposure to some of the most difficult cases you will ever be challenged with. This is, this is a rich environment in which to train. And I think Duke um, maybe, not, maybe isn't the only place that offers that opportunity, but I, I do think it is one of the places that really has that combination of highly qualified, nationally and internationally recognized faculty, the leaders um, in the field, also taking care of patients who are among the sickest in the world. And um, I, I think that's a reason someone should give strong consideration to a program like Duke. And I think anyone applying into, into medicine and anesthesiology in particular needs to really think about this is not the time to really sit back and say, oh, I made it through medical school. I'm done. My job is finished. I really tell people, you know, in fact, your job is just beginning. You know, the real responsibility of taking care of patients um, requires intense study, training, um, focus. And so medical school is not the, not the end of a journey, even though sometimes it feels, feels that way. And it is in a certain uh, respect. But in another respect, you know, the start of residency is only, is only the beginning, again, of that lifelong learning and leadership that is expected of physicians. So when people ask you why train at Duke Anesthesiology, what's your answer? I think uh, Duke Anesthesiology he really offers a comprehensive package for a, an applicant. Um, if I were an applicant uh, today, I would certainly want to want to want to go to a place that had highly complex care, um, a big focus on perioperative medicine, which I do believe that our our residency does have. We, um, as an internist myself. I am very, very interested in making sure that our anesthesiologists don't simply become uh, OR anesthesiology operators, which I think was the way anesthesiology was practiced maybe 20 or 30 years ago. I want to see our residents trained for what anesthesiology is likely to be uh, 10 to 20 years from now. And I think that is what um, our, our program tries to 
to build as its focus. This idea that perioperative medicine matters and anesthesiologists should be involved in every stage of the process, every stage of the surgical episode. And I think our program really is through its um, required critical care rotations, required, uh, required perioperative rotations, the type of quality improvement projects we do, the type of clinical research our residents um, get involved in. I think it really does emphasize that idea that an anesthesiologist truly is the perioperative physician. And touch on, Dr. Thompson, if you will, the size of the program, the Duke Anesthesiology Residency Program, and how do you think that benefits the residents' training? So program is what I describe as a very medium-sized program, but it is in a giant institution. So we uh, take 15 residents per year. So for the four-year program, our internship is integrated within our residency. We have 60 residents a year. The advantage of that is, is that it really gives people that family feeling or that home base. When you have 15 residents a year and 150 faculty, the faculty really have the opportunity to get to know residents, to get to know what their preferences are, what they would like to do, to really learn about them, to involve them in research to adequately counsel and mentor them. And that can be done because the ratio of faculty to residents is, is so high. And because the volume of cases in the institution to residents is again, a very high ratio. It allows our residents to really have a say in the selection of their cases, really have a look at what they need and what they would like to do. And so, it, it's, it gives you the ability to do some pretty high-level matching um, of the resident and their abilities to the cases, to their interests, and to their potential mentors. You often refer to the residency program as the crown jewel of the department. It's definitely very catchy. Explain to us what you mean by the crown jewel of the department. No question. The residency is the crown jewel of the department. And Part of the reason I say that is when you look at the trajectory of any academic institution, the strength of the residency is the cornerstone. When you think about it, your residents become your future fellows, become your future faculty, but often become your future researchers, your leaders, your administrators, your division chiefs. Um, your, it is, it, it really, um, the residency is integrated with every step along the way um, of an academic department. And it is what we do, who we bring into our family is really important. Um, and it isn't just for Duke, it's for, it's for place. And the fact that we have a really uh, strong clinical and research-based uh, residency really helps and makes our future as a department look very, very bright. You know, over the years, there's been a lot of focus on physician wellness, which clearly includes trainees. Talk about the priority of wellness for residents in Duke Anesthesiology and some ways that your team makes wellness a priority. Right. I, this is an excellent point. In order to function at your peak level, in order to be there for patients in their moments of need, there are times you actually have to show up for yourself. And this is an evolution in medicine. It certainly isn't the, um, 
the going concern, if you will, when I trained, um, when I did my two residencies, but it, it really is valued and it is important. I don't think anyone even questions that at this point. So we understand that and we want the best of our, from our residents and we want the best for our patients. So doing things that help promote and support the wellness of our residents is really important. Um, we have done several things over the years to try to, um, to try to make this a place that people really want to live and work. Um, we have, and this seems like I'm sure on a podcast, somebody might roll their eyes, but we actually have two anesthesia resident lounges because we were doing cases in two different buildings with no place for people to sit and finish up notes or just sit and talk to each other. Um, that is a, that it seems so small, but in some ways it's, it is huge and having two, uh, nicely furnished, comfortable areas for physicians and residents to get away and do, do the work that they need to do or take the break that they need to take is vitally important. I would say probably the most recent thing that's, uh, splashed on the Twitter sphere. So I would be, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I would not be, uh, I would be told you need to mention this, is the uh, Peloton that was recently won uh, on behalf of our residents. And uh, that Peloton had a place to go thanks to to the lounges. So um, our residents have recently received a brand new Peloton um, for, for their efforts during uh, COVID-19. And getting back to one of the topics that we touched on earlier, for medical students who are listening to this podcast right now, who may not have decided on which specialty to train in, share with us why you personally decided to go into the field of anesthesia and why you would encourage medical students to go into this field. Sure. So um, my path to anesthesiology, as I had explained before, is circuitous. I had done internal medicine. I always knew about myself that I like to take care of the sickest patients, critically ill patients. And at the time, um, I thought I would do pulmonary critical care and had great mentors in pul pulmonary critical care. But it was um, through my experiences of meeting some anesthesiologists who had done internal medicine prior to anesthesia, as well as meeting some anesthesiology intensivists that I thought, wow, again, that is a, a great um, merger. It's a, it's a great complement to my internal medicine training. And, is it, and I would be able to merge the interests that I have in both of those fields into the field of critical care and cardiothoracic anesthesiology. So that's really how I came about it. Um, I have to say, looking back, I feel like I made the right choice for me 100%. I think uh, I get to be, you know, they often refer to anesthesiologists as internists of the OR. I really feel like I, I am that when I practice. I gain a lot of satisfaction from the relationships I have with, uh, with the teams in the operating room as well as the teams in the ICU. Um, it, as an internist and anesthesiologist, you have a tremendous capacity to uh, to impact patient care. And again, it's not just in the operating room, but it really is across the entire um, surgical episode for patients. So um, that would be, I, I'm very happy that I'm an anesthesiologist and I would encourage residents or, um, or medical students who are thinking about anesthesia. If you enjoy internal medicine, you should not do it to get out of internal medicine. But if you enjoy 
learning about internal medicine and being that person who applies those principles in the operating room, in the ICU, in the pre-op clinic, throughout the surgical episode, and you also like things like procedures, transesophageal echoes, uh, maybe you like blocks or regional anesthesia, maybe you do have some technical facility, this actually might be the perfect career for you. It is um, fast-paced, you need to be flexible, you need to have some pretty clear thinking and good understanding of medicine because the decisions you have to make in a split second really have major impact on patients. So you really need that foundation of knowledge in medicine in order to help you make the right decisions rapidly when called to. Very good point. And you know, it's one of the myths that you hear a lot of the time that anesthesiologists just put people to sleep. And it is so far from the truth. That's right. And I think this program, it's one of the things we really emphasize that, you know, if someone is really looking for that, and I will be honest, I think that is anesthesia 30 years ago. It is not anesthesia 30 years from now. And I don't even think it's anesthesia today. But if people are looking for that, they really do need to look at other programs. I think our program is a comprehensive um, uh, education in the discipline of anesthesia as it is today and as it will be uh, 10 to 20 years from now. As the leader of the Duke Anesthesiology Residency Program, what do you most want people to know about your program and your team? I think what I want people to know is, is our team really is a team. We rely on each other. We are, we are family. And we are here for the patients, whether we're doing research, administration, education, other sorts, types of leadership, we are, we are here for the patients. And I feel that very strongly and not just about our department, but about our surgical colleagues who I interact with every day. I have the great good fortune of working with some of the best surgeons in the country, um, it, is, it is a hugely collaborative relationship. And I'll give you an example. When our surgeons wanted to look at uh, um, enhanced recovery uh, practices for cardiac surgery, they were insistent on identifying and involving people, anesthesiologists in particular, who were passionate about advancing that field and that practice. And it... I, Coming to Duke has given me incredible opportunities, as, as well as other people, incredible opportunities to really interact with colleagues with different thoughts, uh, a different focus, um, different ideas, to really sit down and speak openly and come up with what we think is the best way to care for our patients. And I want to close our discussion today with a question that I'll ask each of our departmental guests. What does changing the face of anesthesiology mean to you? When I think about changing the face of anesthesiology, and I've mentioned this before in this podcast, I think about what anesthesiology looks like today and what it should look like 20 years from now. And even though I have some ideas about what anesthesiology will look like 20 years from now, I don't really know. I can't say for certain that this is something that I know. What I do know is that we need to prepare our leaders of tomorrow to have the adaptability, the uh, intellectual knowledge, and the skills to help lead those changes, see those changes, and make those changes that need to be made. 
to make care safer and better for patients in the future. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Dr. Thompson, for joining us today and speaking with us and providing all of this insight. And I know you have a very busy few months coming up. November 2, it's a big day for you. Yes, it is. Thank you so much, Stacey, for, for having me on. And again, I'm, I'm honored to be uh, your first guest. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. You can find this podcast on the Duke Anesthesiology website, anesthesiology.duke.edu. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Join us next time for another edition of the Inside Duke Anesthesiology podcast. Take care.